welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. This is a Monday morning edition. I am your host, Alex Gore. I am here with Mark Wainwright. Mark is the founder and principal of Wainwright Industry Insight, not industries yet, uh, a sales <laughs> consultant to professional service firms. Leveraging his 20 years of sales and marketing experience, Mark offers fractional sales marketing to firms who sell their ex- expertise. Mark, welcome Inside the Firm. Thanks, Alex. It's uh, it's it's nice to nice to be here. Uh, uh, I will the 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 fractional sales management. I think was the was the little little part there. I am, I, as most people will probably understand. I am. I used to be. I'm a recovering marketing guy. I am now a full on focused sales guy. So yeah. Oh, okay. And I know that word. I know that word. Just you know, sends shivers down to people people's spine. So, uh, but I'm ready to talk about it. So. Let's get started with what in your background do you think is necessary for the audience to understand to where you got to the conversation that we're having today? Good question. The, you know, because people who do marketing business development in architecture firms, engineering firms, and they don't really do sales, right? And, and, you know, there's a lot of people who create proposals who are marketing staff members others that aren't really involved in sales sales mostly is i mean really the 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 steps the blocking and tackling you know all around sales is really done by you know firm principals you know people who are doers sellers that sort of thing people who are you know contracting work proposing pricing etc um so i worked in the 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 aec kind of world for you know, 10 plus years or so. And then I made a shift and I worked uh, outside of the AEC industry in management consulting. And I had a very specific marketing and then selling role. So my career made a big shift. And that was really when I was exposed to what sales is. And I started to be really interested and learn more about sales. Because in management consulting, the firm I was working with, we were working, our clients were you know, Fortune 1000, you know, Fortune 500 companies and the contracts were huge, you know, six figure retainer, you know, monthly contracts for, you know, a year or two years, uh, selling high dollar, you know, uh, training products and other stuff like that, you know, consulting engagements and things. So, so that's when I really made the shift, but I really appreciate and love the, the AEC world architecture engineering universe. I have tons of connections and, and, and friends and, uh, you know, lots of personal relationships throughout that industry. So I said, how can I take these sales skills that I have developed over time, sort of outside the industry and reintroduce them to architects and engineers who aren't really good at sales, don't really like talking about sales, don't even like the word, but can really benefit from all of this. So I came up with this part-time sales manager for part-time sales people job uh, this consulting thing that I'm doing right now called fractional sales management, where I help uh, a various number of firms just a little bit at a time over a long period of time where I am their sales manager. And I, you know, coach and 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 guide them as they learn how to sell better. And I help them build a really organized sort of sales function inside their 
inside their organizations, which means that, you know, they're, they're, they have a, they have an organized rigorous sales pipeline. Um, uh, and they're just organizationally, they're really organized when it comes to finding and winning new work. Yeah. Could you, um, kind of chunk in your mind, the different groupings of sales, and I'll give a, just a quick example, mm. and I'm sure you'll be able to expand or, or contract on that. There's the acquisition of clients. There's uh, then the sales process um, going through that. And then there is the continuing management, you know, mm. once it flows into there. How do you see that kind of sales pipeline and how do you kind mm. of break it down? Yeah, I I uh, I think there's a few ways to look at it. Maybe I'm you know as I talk about what sales is to uh, to individuals and organizations, you know, because like I said, it's a it's a bit of a foreign term. The common terms are business development and marketing. Um, and there's you know if you dr start drawing the Venn diagram circles, you're trying to figure out which ones which and where they fit together and all that other stuff. I like to draw sort of a continuum. And on one end is definitely sales and sales related activities. And those are typically things that are, okay, contracts, proposing pricing, developing proposals, um, you know, having, you know, discovery conversations to come up with these proposals. All those things are definitely sales activities, you know, and they're not promotional in nature. They're more sort of, uh, uh, you know, investigative. Uh, and that's really what, what sales is all about. At the other end of the spectrum, we have marketing activities, which are promotional in nature which are podcasts, which are, uh, you know, websites, social media, you know, things that are promoting and getting, you know, getting people aware and engaged with your organization. And that's a continuum, right? And at some point along that line, there's probably some overlap and a little bit of fuzziness in the middle there. Uh, but there's definitely some overlap uh, between sales and marketing. But at some point, you transition from marketing to sales. Uh, and I th kind of think of it as that continuum right there. Uh, that's how I, that's how I sort of visualize it but i you know the, the way you broke it out into you know sales pipeline you know sales pipeline management uh you know ongoing uh you know conversations and relationship management with your clients i think to a degree that's still sales as as well i think a lot of people if they had to call it something they might call it business development or client development you know this long-term you know tending relationships but i think it is the responsibility for individual doer sellers in firms to 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 be managing individual relationships and maintaining those over time and i think that you will find that um the the expertise out in there in the world regarding sales will help you do that as a doer seller rather than the marketing expertise that's out there in in the world which is why my bias is for sales because i think that in the in, in the world of information that we have at our disposal sales information is mostly useful for the doer seller inside of a professional services firm who has to um, maintain long-term relationships uh, you know develop proposals present you know you know propose options um, present pricing work through contracts etc I think the sales information out there in the world is far more useful than you know what we what we see in the industry as far as like marketing information. I hope I I hope I got to a reasonable yeah. answer for what you said there. Yeah, and it leads me into another question. Um, when you're looking at architecture or engineering firms, mm -hmm. structural, civil, you know, they're sort of in the same boat. Um, what's what's a what do you typically see as their sales organization, and then what are you trying to? And I mean that in the loose term. And then what are you trying to get them as a 
goal. Mm. And then the third, the the third part to that question then is, what are the results or the the benefits of this transition? Yeah. So organizationally, because I, I look at it a little bit different, I look at individuals and organizations because I'm trying to do, uh, I'm trying to move both of them forward, and I'll kind of define that a little bit. But organizationally, most most organizations are uh, disorganized, meaning that uh, they don't have a clear visibility on new business opportunities. Uh, that should be kind of in an organized pipeline. They're kind of all over the place. They don't have a really strong system for vetting those opportunities. They don't have a strong system for for advancing those opportunities from a maybe to a contract. There's no uh, there's no process in place. And people always sort of wince a little bit when I because I use the word process a lot and people don't like that because uh, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm just going to shoot from the hip and we're going to get this contract closed. And, you know, we don't like a whole lot of process. But the whole reason process exists is to get better at something over time. Right? The reason you create a process and you do it a sa the same or similar way again and again is to get better at it. Right? That's why a process exists. And if an organization doesn't have a process, that means, you know, if they keep doing different things randomly over time, they're never going to get better at something. Right. So that's why a process exists. So I seek to bring a process of organization and sort of rigor and structure to that whole thing of, you know, a maybe to a contract and get everybody sort of bought in and aligned to it and moving opportunities forwards. So organizationally, what all that organization gives you, what that structure and that process gives you is it gives you the visibility on the on your future revenue and your future resource needs that you need in order to make decisions. Right. That's the important. That's what that's what a pipe. That's why a pipeline is so critical. A lot of times people are, you know, making financial decisions and resourcing on contracted work. You should be making important decisions and, uh, you know, resourcing your pipeline. Right. So if your pipeline extends three months, six months, nine months out in the future, however long your pipeline extends, that should be the tool that is helping you make important decisions, you know, from a business standpoint. That's why a pipeline is so important. You can't just be constantly making these really important business decisions. Who, who are we going to hire? Who, who, unfortunately, are we going to have to let go because there's not enough work? Um, how are we going to invest the resources, you know, the revenue that we're um, that we're hoping to, to to earn? How are we going to invest that in the future? Your pipeline gives you kind of the crystal ball, the visibility of your future. And if you're not paying enough attention to your sales pipeline, um, that's a problem. And you're making decisions in the moment rather than being able to look forward. So that's sort of the business end of things is you're able to look out into the future with some level of clarity and confidence. Uh, and the better and better you get at maintaining a pipeline, uh, the clearer that gets. Is there a specific uh, management software that you typically recommend or is a good place for someone to start that is just doing this from the hip? Oh, are, are, are you are you maybe referring to like a CRM or a yeah. something like that? Yeah, uh, boy, there's just there's just so many. Uh, you know, I think here's yeah, let's take it. Let's take the simplest business tool that hopefully is out there, right? A spreadsheet, right? Because actually some of the work I do with some of the, the, the clients that I work with, we use very simple spreadsheets, you know, and a spreadsheet, you know, is a, is hopefully a shared document that everyone goes to as a single source of information. Hopefully it's updated regularly and hopefully it provides the accurate information that we can use to make decisions, you know, or 
it, it, it has particular information that, that people, you know, use as reminders. <clears throat> okay, so we're expecting this particular opportunity to close in 60 days. You know, I need to be having these types of conversations right now. I need to be having this type of a conversation next. Um, you know, so it helps us, it helps us build reminders and kind of a, a, a cadence of, of conversations throughout this whole process. And, you know, what most, most firms fall into and why, you know, they're constantly searching for, you know, the silver bullet tool out there, Salesforce or HubSpot or whatever tools that people use is that they think the tool is going to do the, do the, do the work for them. Right. So, um, what I recommend firms just use really, really simple tools like a spreadsheet to list all your new business opportunities because, um, you know, the tool isn't going to do it for you. You have to kind of dig in there and you have to pay attention to it, keep it updated. And I know that's kind of a kind of a boring answer. You know, I'm, I'm not the you know, I'm not the guy that's going to tell people to go out and spend thousands of dollars on tools that aren't used. Um, it's it's and I've mentioned this in the in the past and other conversations I've had is that what's most important is that you have a business process and some some the, the right types of behaviors in place first before you go looking for a tool, right? So so most organizations just need to have some type of a system, some behaviors that are happening inside the organization before they go looking for, you know, a HubSpot or a Salesforce or a Zoho or uh, just in you know, whatever. So you need to have the right types of behaviors happening in the organization before you go, go doing that. I can't agree more. Um a lot of our listeners will probably know we we started this firm just a couple of years out of college so mm -hmm. relatively young um and what we found when either asking questions or or, or gaining success was people slash ourselves were were surprised and i would say maybe i'll maybe just put this on ourselves at, at the success because we didn't have the fancy answers. It always came down to like, what is a simple, straightforward, effective way to do the work? Right. What is it? So when you said that it, it, it resonates, what is simple, straightforward and effective? Yeah. Um, and then grow from there, go from there. Um, I have a question that is uh, for the established business, but the same problem exists when you're trying to start a business. So I'll go for the established business. Um, Let's say you know the economy. There's ups and downs. There's push and pulls. There's uh, dry periods and not. Um, you know, normally firms can last. A, you know, like there might be a, a dip. January is typically a dip just because everyone has a Christmas hangover and all that. Um, but let's let's just say it's longer or it's in a different time where the Fed decides to you know go to 0.5 interest rates for four months and you know, right. um, what would be a strategy or an advice mm. for getting more clients. And the reason why it's also pertinent to the new, uh, someone starting out is because normally a lot of businesses, their clients come from referrals. And what that means is, hey, people I worked with for before are either coming back to me for work right. or they're talking to their friend at the gym and they say, hey, I'm gonna do this. Um, and it, And honestly, they just come in like it, it just comes in. So when it stops, it's the same question as the person trying to start, meaning right. like, oh, I don't have someone I've done business with for five right. years because right. and then, you know, during now it's like, oh, I have plenty of people, but they aren't doing anything right now. Mm -hmm. right. So what's kind of your advice for reaching out? And I think the underlining is like, is there a strategy for cold calls? They don't it's not very fun. People don't like to do them. Sure. 
long, long question. Yeah, no, that was that. It was fine, and, and, and it's a and it's a good question, and and I'll give you kind of you know, and we can touch on a couple of those things specifically. But the, the the big picture answer is that you know you're absolutely right. There is a cyclical nature of everything, and 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 and, and this industry, this is is um, uh, you know completely you know at the sometimes at the at the will of the economy and other types of things. But a lot of times that 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 cyclical nature, that ups and downs, those those hills and valleys you know, that we see are from uh, the, the, what are, how we practice the craft, you know, how, how architects or engineers, you know, practice this whole thing, right? And it's win the work, you know, don't do any more business development or sales activity, go and do the work, deliver the work. And then when the work is done or almost done, they think, oh, we got to go get some more work, right? So it's, so, so that's the cyclical nature of it is that there's, 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 a ton of time and energy spent going and finding and winning the work and then that there's doing the work so they switch back and forth right but in order to avoid that you have to be doing both at the same time and that doesn't mean you need to be doing the sales marketing business development stuff the vast majority of your time but you need to be doing it a little bit at a time and frankly you know that's where that it's a huge priority for what i do you know i am working with organizations saying look just a little bit at a time all the time is required in order to you know maybe take the tops off of those those big hills and start filling up the valleys with them so we can kind of flatten that out a little bit there's going to be other things in the world that impact that there's going to be you know larger larger economy economic issues that sort of thing that that impact that but but the big picture is um yeah we can't let the the work you know, doing the work, doing the design work, doing the engineering work, whatever it is, prevent us um, from doing that week in, week out, little bit of time spent making calls, uh, having conversations, um, doing marketing work, et cetera, right? And, and, and you, you understand this because you see this podcast and likely other things that you and your organization do, you know, as this constant stream of information that is required for people to, um, you know, be aware of your organization, get to know you a little bit, uh, and then at some point approach you um, for for help. So it's it's that consistently thing, and, and we just lose track of it. I mean, experts and professionals just lose track of it because they're just, you know, they think, oh, I want to, you know, I want to go do the work right now and do the engineering, architecture, design work, and they 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 create this these hills and valleys um, for themselves, kind of. Um, and I know there's a bunch of you asked some questions about some specific thing, things in there about cold calling and, and all that other stuff. Sure, that you, all of there, there's there's a ton that can be done. You know, you can you can create you know really specific plans around really important clients that you've worked with historically and continue to work with and want to work with even more. You can create specific plans around that. I call those sort of account development plans. Uh, you can uh, do prospecting and I put you know making cold calls under this big umbrella of prospecting you know asking for referrals um, is prospecting you know prospecting is something that an individual doer seller does in a proactive fashion to make connections and hopefully generate new business leads out there and and I, I don't want to just leave it there because I know that that you mentioned cold calling and a lot of people think oh Mark's Mark focuses on sales. All he he walks into engineering firms and tells everybody they have to start doing cold calls. It's like, well, that's that's not what I do. But you know, cold calling, you know, making you know 
cold or just slightly warm telephone conversations, you know, outbound telephone conversations is an important component of prospecting, but it doesn't, it shouldn't be done all by itself. Like you just shouldn't, you know, sh you know sit down with a list of 20 people and a bunch of phone numbers and just start making calls. The best type of prospecting is done in a sequence where you put together a logical sequence of interactions. It can be, you know, a social media interaction of some type, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, what, whatever it is to start warming up that, that, that relationship. You find somebody you want to connect with. It's like, Oh, let's go look them up on LinkedIn. When we, maybe we'll comment on, on some, some posts they've, they've, uh, they've put up recently. Um, you know, create a couple emails that you can send to them that start to warm that relationship up, i.e. they start to be familiar with you, your name, your firm. And then eventually in that sequence, you should pick up the telephone because then people get to hear your voice and they get to understand that you're just a, you know, a, a nice human being. Uh, and whether you talk to them or leave them a voicemail or whatever it is, you're, you're, you're constantly increasing the familiarity they have with you and your organization. So when we talk about, when I talk about cold calling, it's never done by itself. It's always done in a sequence of activities of kind of, you know, increasing intensity, maybe we could use that word. And uh, hopefully the results of that prospecting sequence that you've put together is someone is familiar enough with you and your firm that uh, you either have a conversation or at some point in the future, they think, oh yeah, I should call Alex. I remember he sent me a few emails and they were pretty useful and he left me that voicemail that one time. He sounds like a pretty reasonable guy. I have a need, maybe I'll call Alex. Yeah, so the way that you explained it seems so obvious that they should be, you call it warm calling. Yeah. Is that yeah. an actual term that other people? It is, yeah. it is, yeah. And, and that's why when people say cold calling, I, I just, you know, I think it's entirely possible for people to make cold calls. I think the probability of success is pretty low, right? Which is why a lot of times when we think about cold calling and that sort of thing, it needs to be done in this incredibly high volume. Right. And it's the, all that all that spam junk that you get in your inbox and, you know, through LinkedIn and through whatever other channels, you know, voicemails, everything else yeah. is because it's completely cold and people don't take the time to plan it and warm it up. Yeah. Targeted warm calling is probably better. Sure. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, awesome. OK, let's go switch topic. Well, mm. let's same topic, but a little bit more precise. Yeah. Pr pricing. Mm, yeah. Pricing, pricing is key. And I actually kind of want to skip to the meat of it and we can go broad later. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> One thing I know you talk about and a lot of advice goes to is pricing options. Yeah, right. And you can talk about that. And I'll give some pushback, not just to push back, but I have a idea that might make it more palatable. Mm. And the pushback will probably explain why people are don't like it or don't want to do it but maybe you know that yeah. so could you talk about the value of pricing options maybe why you think people don't do it as much um and and how it kind of works yeah there you know uh, uh pricing is so fascinating and and you know just to just my little you know prelude to to that that specific pricing options conversation is just that I don't think organizations take pricing seriously enough. Um, you know, and, and that sounds weird because firms like no, we absolutely do, you know, we, we work really hard Our you know, when we put together a fee proposal or whatever else it's, it's, it takes us hours and we put a lot of time and energy 
into it. A lot of times they put a lot of time and energy in, in, into it so that they can rationalize that big, that big number they're going to put in front of somebody. They're like, oh, yeah, I, this fee proposal is six pages long. Look at this. And the price is $250,000. Sure. I mean, I'm, you know, six pages of stuff there should rationalize that price. Um, but I digress. Uh, you know, the, the, it, it, pricing needs to be elevated in importance to the point where your organization has kind of a, a way you, you approach it. Um, and one of the components of pricing is pricing options. And whenever I, whenever I bring up the concept of pricing options and presenting options uh, in price, uh, and note, Alex, I'm going to take a little, little, little tangent here. I use the word price and not fee. Uh, and we can talk about that if you want to, but price is really, really important rather than fee because fees are often seen as punitive, um, mm. and prices is, 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 is not. So, uh, uh, one of the things about, about price, I talk to firms about pricing and pricing options. I say, we, we, we have tons of options. We give, we, we present, we present tons of, of options. We, when, when we're, when we're talking to, to potential clients, um, and we're going to put together a fee proposal, the, the, the end product to the proposal has a ton of things. It, it's got, it's got, it's got this component of it. This work has, we have kind of a range here that they can pick from. It's this, this, this work this first task or this first part of the work is $10,000 to $20,000, depending on, you know, the options they choose. The second component has, has is this amount. Um, and then at the very end, uh, we give them all kinds of a la carte uh, options. We say, okay, so there's this component uh, uh, that you could, you could add on to it, uh, or there's an exclusion down there and says, hey, by the way, this, the pricing that we gave you doesn't include the survey or the, um, the, the, the structural engineering or the, the landscape, you know, architecture work, the design work, all these other things, but we can do, but we, but we can, we can price all those if, if you want. Right. So when I say pricing and pricing options, firms immediately think we provide options. And I say, you provided way too many options, right? Because really what we're talking about when we're talking about sales and selling and pricing is that we have to, we have to facilitate the decision-making of the prospective client because making decisions on stuff like this is really, really hard. So you options and the best way to present options is in a very orderly fashion. And when I recommend firms present options, I recommend that they do, they present three price options. Good, better, best, low, medium, high, uh, whatever combination. But when options are presented, they are three options, and each option has a very discrete single price. Gotcha. Um, okay, here's probably some of the pushback that you've already heard, mm. or not. One of uh, I want to say it's a strategy. I'd say there is a it it is a kernel of truth is that there are clients that are ready to buy now. And uh, they are looking for architect engineer and they're, they're ready to go. So speed is essential, meaning here you go, here's what, what, what you need to do. The second is um, sometimes even, even myself with, with dealing with civil engineers, but I can, I can imagine a client that's doing a house or, or, or something like that, or even development, if you have the different options, you implement a, a speed bump to speed, meaning now you are explaining the different options. Mm. 
And what I do not like when I work with, let's say, subs is like, let's say they exclude surveying, right? Mm -hmm. Or something like that. And let's say I'm putting together a team and a project and I have civil engineers, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, structural, like, hey, you all know we, we've done this before or your firm should have done this before. Give me the fee to get the job done, mm. which leads to the second thing is I think some people are afraid, either rightly so or not. Let's say I give three options, low, medium, high. And I do have somewhat of a solution. I'm not just trying to you know, spew negativity here. Um, let's say a client goes, hey, this is great. Um, I want the low option or the medium option. And you know in the back of your head, you go, crap. Well, they're in an, an HOA and this client seems like they want a lot of handholding and there's going to be a lot of back and forth and they actually need the high option and that's, they need all of these stuff. Yeah. So they just picked the $14 option right? <laughs> when they need the $45 option. Right, right, right. And now and that's, that's the beauty. That is the whole beauty of this, right? <clears throat> and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on inside of our heads inside of it, that that we don't recognize and, and we can we'll, we'll we'll dig into that but i don't want to get too far down the road here um so but we'll but we'll talk about that and, I, and it is called cognitive bias right mm -hmm. and interwoven with that is also when we talk about these options we're also going to talk about designing those options and something called choice architecture right so we'll talk a little bit about that but i want to i want to touch on the speed thing first because you brought that up initially um <clears throat> In my experience, and I would I, I would I would posit that time spent at this critical point, you know, upfront, setting price, finalizing scope, everything else, is time saved on the back end, right? And the beautiful thing about presenting three very clear options is that you're not only showing what prospective clients get with a particular option, you are very clearly showing them what they do not get with other options, right? So that is one of, the, that is really, really powerful because of it, you know, changes and additions and other things like that down the road often come from just people assuming that certain things were included when they were not. And we weren't explicit enough about that upfront. We usually say everything's, you know, here's all the stuff that's included and here's the price. But we don't ever say, okay, and here's all this other stuff that's not included. And here's the price of that. But when you put together a really nice three option proposal assembled in a nice, nice three option table, you are being explicit about things that are excluded, which is really powerful. So you can go back to that original document, not just the scope, but also that, that, that fee proposal up front and say, look, Option three that you did not choose included these two things that you are now, you know, that we're now talking about that you want to maybe include. And they say, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So what's the price of that? Well, it's the difference between option two and option three. And they say, okay, let's do option three. The other thing I will say is that if people are ready to go and they're, you know, in, in, in time and speed is really, really critical to them and you know, the dollars are secondary. That's, that, that can happen. That's a good scenario. I would say that any proposal you're putting forward with them, you are leaving money on the table. You know, without providing an option that is a, you know, a, a very high option, maybe it's not even an option that they're going to consider, but just presenting a high option that makes them think for a second and say, oh, okay, all right. So, so there are some other things involved with this um, that I haven't really 
really thought about. Um, <clears throat> so, so I, I think that, you know, you assemble a price, they say, go, you know, you're, you're on your way and everybody's happy. That's totally fine. I guarantee you in that situation, you're leaving dollars on the table. And the, the, the trick is when someone is, is completely focused on time and speed, it is going to cost more. Right. So I think there's always that need to say, okay, so we're going to do this fast. You want to move quickly. And there's this, 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 this extra, this extra element that has to do with, with, with price. Um, which is a little counterintuitive because since most organizations are basing their time on basing their, their price on effort, they think if something is faster, it's cheaper, but that shouldn't be how it is. Right. Yeah. Know, if, 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 if you're trying to, to accelerate a process that you typically, you know, takes you 10 months and you're trying to cram that into eight months or whatever else, there should be additional, you know, there should be an additional price associated with that because you're having to. Uh, do things you wouldn't normally do. So that's a little counterintuitive. And again, that's, and, and that, that gets back to, and I, I won't go off on a tangent about, you know, the issues of, of cost plus uh, and basing price on effort. But um, anyway, uh, so yeah, so, so the, the last couple of things I, I mentioned that we can talk about a little bit and why pricing helps to this whole pricing three options helps this whole process is cognitive bias and choice architecture. We can talk about that as, as you'd like. Um, I what let's let's remember that yeah but here's my question let um let's say i'm making up a uh let's just let's just use a house for example an architecture yeah. right great yeah um would you recommend then that your lowest price is what they need to actually get the project done mm. your medium price then add some stuff in your in your third price uh, you know, adds even more. I think what people think, and I could be totally wrong, is like, okay, the medium one is where I'm going through. Here's here's everything they need, right? And then you could take the strategy like, okay, they could get by if I take a couple things off, and it could yeah. be better if I add a couple things. Yeah. So I'm wondering which one should be the one that you think mm. that they need. And then second question to that is, what do you commonly see as um, either add-ons or take-offs? Uh, of those tiers yeah so so first question um simply and i would say most commonly you're probably trying to nudge and steer someone towards a middle option <clears throat> and and let me again clarify why it's important to have three is that if you give someone one option or one choice they have nothing to compare it to they are un people are unable to create sufficient context and comparison in our brains so if you give them one price they will have to go somewhere else to get a comparative price they have to we are for if we give them one price we are forcing them to go compare it to something else right so they'll go talk to another firm or you know what or they'll talk to a friend and say hey what'd you pay you know uh you know so they people cannot make comparisons out of nothing so it's 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 critical that we're at least trying to give them something to frame that price and three options does a beautiful job of framing that price. And I want to talk, you know, and, and I think people are kind of, you know, uh, kicking this around their head and saying, Oh yeah, yeah, we sort of do options. We do options. And I I'm talking about three, one, two, three. Right. And I think that's really critical. And the three is beautiful because it frames everything. It frames that. And let's talk about that central option. So sure. Option one can be what it takes to get the project done. Option two, maybe is a preferred option that you start to add, you know, whatever things into. And the third option is the, the, the kitchen sink. <clears throat> and I'll weave in a couple of cognitive bias things, right? Yep. 
One, one example of cognitive bias is something called the decoy effect. And the decoy effect is where if you're, if you're faced with three options, three choices, three numbers, let's say, one of those can be something that impacts the other two. Someone will look at a particular choice or a particular number and inevitably the comparisons start to rise up with the, to, to arrive with the, with the other two. You would think if you're thinking, if people are thinking about things rationally, each choice you give them, choice A, B, and C, are all decided upon, you know, with their own merit. They all, they all, they're all considered independently, but they never are. There's always one option in there that influences decision-making on the other two, right? So for example, your third option, if you had a kitchen sink option, they think, oh my gosh, that is crazy expensive. Suddenly, what happens? The two other options seem much more reasonable, mm -hmm. right? So that's what happens in, in, in our heads is that, you know, the first option's, a, you know, $150,000, the second one's $225,000, and the third one's $500,000. They think, oh, I can't spend $500,000, but suddenly that two, that, you know, 225 or whatever it is sounds suddenly really reasonable. Right. So, so that's a decoy option. So that's one of the, that's one of the, the tricks, one of the cognitive biases that's at play here is that you should have a particular option. It could be a low option, a high option, whatever that is going to be your, your, your decoy. Um, there's other things that are happening. Like there's, there's um, loss aversion is a cognitive bias where the, the, the pain of losing things and having things take away, taken away from us is a much more powerful motivator than the pleasure of gaining things. Mm -hmm. So uh, in, this three option, in, in this three option idea is if you present, you know, the full blown kitchen sink first, and then you start presenting other options, they're thinking, okay, wait, what did we just lose when we went from the highest option to the next option. So oh, that's quick, what's quick, happened. Yeah, quick question then. Yeah. I, um, and I'll let you keep ranting because I, I'm loving this. Why then when there's a, a, a tier, um, do they put the high option on the right-hand side and not mm -hmm. on the left-hand side? Yeah, you can do either. You can you can do you can do either. I think it's in, it, it's entirely possible to 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 reorder because again, that spe that speaks to another cognitive bias, which is the ordering effect or the primacy effect. Yep. And and what what that cognitive bias is, the very first piece of information that you come across influences the subsequent pieces of information, right? So if you put a high option first, and most firms don't want to do this because they're thinking, oh, I want to walk someone up rather than throwing this big, huge number at them first and scaring them away. Yep. But, you know, if you're able, if you're having this, you know, proposal conversation where you're presenting these, these different options, I have no issue with starting with, you know, a kitchen sink high option first and then moving down because you start to employ this loss aversion. People are thinking, oh, we're going to lose that. If we move to option two, we're going to lose this. And then they go, option three, we're going to lose what? Right. That is a more powerful motivator than starting with the just get the job done option and moving to two. It may say, no, 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 I don't, you know, that's, it's, I don't need that. I don't need yep. that. Right. So, and, and then when they go to the third, third option, they're like, oh, we definitely don't need that. So that's, you know, going on in our heads. And people are thinking, you know, when people make really big decisions like this, they are completely rational and they are using a very conscious mode of rational, logical thinking. They are not. They are not the same, the same, you know, forces that are at play in our head when we're deciding, you know, to buy a, 
you know, a $500 television set are, 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 are working in our heads when we're making a half million dollar or a million dollar, a multi-million dollar, you know, purchasing um, decision. It is the same stuff, right? And it's not, it's not the job of the consultant, architect, engineer, whatever else to take advantage of those. It's important that they are aware of them and that they are, they are leveraging, you know, how, you know, this sort of irrational, um, stuff is going on in, in, in buyers heads and, and to be able to, 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 to kind of mold that, you know, it's like, oh, okay. So if I present options in this particular way, high, medium, low, whatever else, people are going to be perceiving a loss aversion thing. So, you know, that's, that's how I, that's how I might want to order it. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a, um, it's really, really interesting. And I, and I think that, um, you can, you can, um, you can leverage all of this and to use your very first example is that where someone, you know, purchased a, you know, someone chose a, a, the, the first option, which was a low cost option. You said, oh, they really should have picked the second option or the third option because that's really going to serve them better. Um, there are things you can, you, you can use these tools and these nudges and these, these um, different cognitive biases to, to make sure that you're steering them um, towards, the, towards the best option. Um last part of that question what yeah. what are you seeing that people are either doing as subtractions or add-ons depending on how you look at it um uh well this this speaks to uh this speaks to value and the reason this speaks to 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 value is um for example um you know value is is the the maximum amount someone is willing to pay for for, for you know something uh to 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 gain their their desired outcome or their desired result, right? That's that's sort of the that's the definition. Um, but in in this situation, if you present various options and there's various elements of those options, you need to be sure that the buyer, prospective buyer, places value on any added elements or added items in your kind of table of options, or you're not going to get very far, right? If, you know, if, you know, let's use an absurd answer here. It's like, okay, so here's, here's our, our low option where your house is going to be white, right? Our medium option, your house is going to be blue, right? Our high end option, your house is going to be a lovely gold, right? If they place no value on blue or gold and ultimately wanted white, uh, then you didn't discover that early early enough on, right? Conversely, they place the highest value on white and white, white is some, some premium, you know, for a, for a house color. And I know this is an absurd answer, but we can connect this to, to other stuff. If the third option, if your kitchen sink high option is the only one that offers that offers white, then they're going to, they're, then they will, that will be influencing their decision and they will, they will place a higher amount of value on that kind of kitchen sink option, right? So you need to be careful coming into your pricing, you know, your pricing options to be adding or taking away, excluding or including various things um, that they place some value on. Because if you're continually adding stuff, I know that you're, here, here's an example that kind of came to me the other day when I was thinking about this, um, leading up to our conversation is that your, your office, and I know a lot of your expertise, um, uh, you guys do a lot of talking about Revit, right? Technology tools, you know, how you use those tools in your design work. It is entirely possible that you may have two different clients 
and one will place a high amount of value on that so that they will be willing to pay some premium on your work. You may come across other clients who do not care, you know, about the sausage making, you know, about what happens, you know, behind the curtain. And you're thinking, well, okay, we've spent 30 minutes explaining all this and you know it, it, you know, how we use Revit and how it's important and how modeling is 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 critical to you know construction and everything else and they don't care like they don't it doesn't matter to them at all and that's that's a significant investment in time and effort on your end and someone says look I I don't care it doesn't matter to me none of that so if you're saying you know if your options and I know that um, this may not be you know a real way to do this but you know, if one of your options is like, okay, this option, you don't get Revit and this option you do get Revit. Someone who places a high amount of value on that is going to say, oh, I have to have option B because that uses Revit. And I know that's going to, you know, all the benefits involved with that and everything else. The other person who doesn't value it at all, they could care less. Right. Yeah. So, so hopefully, I don't know if that, that, that makes sense. That example makes sense, but yeah, that's where we have to have these really critical sales discovery conversations to really understand what people place value on. And then that flows into our, our, our pricing options so that we're able to leverage the different elements of work to be done uh, relative to the value they place on them. Yep. Awesome. Um, I thought everything you said was extremely insightful. Um, if people want to know more, where should they go? If people want to connect with you and work with you, where should they go? Um, well, any, parting, yeah. any parting thoughts you want to give the audience, the floor is yours. Thanks. It has been a, a pleasure. I always uh, love uh, chatting up pricing and all this other stuff. Um, there's a lot of pricing, uh, great uh, resource information out there. I'm happy to, to talk to individuals ab about price. It's like I mentioned, it's just endlessly fascinating uh, uh, for me. I have a hopefully useful website at wainwrightinsight.com. I am a, a a frequent flyer maybe on on LinkedIn. Uh, so if people want to find me and connect with me there, that would be that would be uh, I'd be great. Um, it has been a, a, a pleasure chatting with you. You guys are doing a, a great job on your podcast. So keep up the great work, Alex. Thanks a lot, Mark. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. 